You're listening to the Cannabis Investing Network. Before we begin, a short disclaimer. The full disclaimer follows at the end of this episode. This podcast is a general communication and is being provided for entertainment and information purposes only. It is educational in nature and is not designed to be a recommendation for any specific investment strategy, plan, feature, or other purpose. Please enjoy responsibly. Hello and welcome back to the Cannabis Investing Network podcast. My name is Manish, and today we are joined by a very special guest, the man who snuck onto the GTI call at the very end to give a half-baked question. His name is Abby. <laughs> Thanks for that, man. Thanks for that. But sorry, it was in the middle of the call. I was the first question, actually. Oh, that right. was me. Yeah. I'm confusing yeah. you with Leon Cooperman, I guess. That's my alias, you know. <laughs> You, you guys have the same haircut, but uh, plus or minus a couple billion dollars. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. I uh, mean, that's how you know the sentiment is kind of reaching all time lows when you have a billionaire investor well, raging. I'm not a billionaire, dude. Like, let's let's be right. Yeah, <laughs> not you. When you have Leon Cooperman raging on a conference call, um, and listen, when the sector is the way it is, I think you have to take any moment of entertainment that you get and appreciate it for what it is. Well, that was, I mean, listen, that was jaw dropping, yeah. right? Like, like, listen, Leon Cooperman is a very well-respected uh, billionaire fund manager, whatever he goes on CNBC. And, uh, you know, you had sent me that, uh, the earnings call and said, Hey, go to, go to this. So I like, listen to the whole thing. And as soon as he came on, I was like, yeah. what? Minute 16. What? Yeah. It's, it's, it's pretty Jeez. wild. Yeah. Yeah. And the, I, I've never seen him so fired up. I've well, never seen him so fired up. There's three pages of insider selling on Bloomberg. Why aren't mm -hmm. you guys buying? You're saying all the right buzzwords. Yes. Like, Whoa. <laughs> and the, so the funny thing about that is apparently there there was no insider selling. Apparently that was just related to you know equity comp that people got. Um, and, and I don't know. Sounds like fake news, man. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm totally kidding. I have no idea if it is or not, but. <laughs> But this, this is good you know, put a jab in there. This goes back to something that we always say. We said, I don't even know how many times is that it doesn't matter how much money you have. At the end of the day, everyone is retail. I mean, here's here's a guy who is is literally the you know the highest classification of investor, you know, billionaire family office, you know, shooting first, asking questions later, basically coming to the realization that. Without uplisting and safe banking, you know, there's no bottom to these stocks um, and, and being really aggravated about it. And I mean, first of all, it's, it's pretty entertaining. But secondly, um, I think it perfectly encapsulates the mood of where cannabis investors are right now. Yeah, I would say it, it perfectly encapsulates the mood of where everybody is in terms of like the, the entire macro forecast. I think this isn't only Leon's only position that's down. But you're a hundred percent right, and and you know and we'll talk about this a little bit later as, as we talk about you know GTI's earnings call and, and Curaleafs. But uh, this was a guy who previously was euphoric about cannabis stocks, uh, Leon Cooperman, that is right, and had said all kinds of great things. And uh, the reason why he was even on the GTI call is because he's been on it before, and it's typically very complimentary, um, and it's always been a feather in GTI's cap. Like look at the kind of investors they are able to attract. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and so that's always been a positive for them. Um, but like most things in life, you know, a coin has two sides and the people who are euphoric on the way up, uh, are not so nice on the way down. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I thought you were going to use the pendulum analogy. Yeah. No? I mean, that's, that's what it is, right? Yeah. I mean, you spend very little time in the middle and you spend a lot of time swinging from the extreme ends. Yeah, exactly. So, Abby, uh, you know, to your point, uh, cannabis is not the only thing hurting. In fact, everyone else is joining the cannabis is hurting party or the stocks are hurting party. Um, and funny enough, it, it's almost eerily similar um, to 2020, where it feels like some of the pain being felt by cannabis is now being felt by the rest of the market. And by extension, it's making us not look as bad as some of the other parts of the market. Yeah, I mean that that's a very interesting analogy. When you're saying 2020, when when in 2020? Are you talking about like March 2020? Or are you talking about leading up to like February to, to COVID? Um Well, there are a couple yeah. of parts to it, right? So first of all, if you remember in the in the back end of 19, um, we were really worried about 
these cannabis names, right? Well, um, we were worried because they were unprofitable burning cash, right? But totally. we were also worried about one other thing. We were worried about rate hikes. Remember that. And we were I, worried about a looming recession coming. Yes, totally. But mostly, like to your point, they were burning cash and the capital markets had dried up, right? These stocks were getting killed. Uh, Vapegate happened at the end of 19. Yeah. And, but, but it was isolated to just cannabis at that time. Exactly. Exactly. And so cannabis was getting hammered. The rest of the market was performing great. And mm-hmm. when COVID hit, everything got hammered together. And, you know, cannabis got kind of lost in the shuffle, didn't look so bad because everything was down. Mm-hmm. Right. So there wasn't this feeling of like, oh, these cannabis stocks suck, but everything else is good. Right. So similarly, cannabis has been getting hammered for a while now. Right. Basically mm-hmm. a year. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the last few weeks, everything else has been getting hammered. Right. So in relation, you know, there's there's it's not like, oh, I, I should have taken my cannabis money and put it into Bitcoin or tech or whatever. Like everything's been getting hammered. Well, in relation, it's like, man, I should have sold and gone to cash. Yeah, exactly. Right. That's that really has been the only place to hide, which brings us to the theme of today's episode, which is cash is no longer trash. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. And if you think about what we've seen over the last two years, there's been so much liquidity flooded into every corner of the market, of people's lives, um, of businesses, that there's been way more money uh, that's been injected in than. Uh, then really there's been places to go. So you've seen huge inflation and run up in asset prices, financial assets, and everyday goods and services, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And if if we just rewind back to the conversation we had almost exactly a month ago, I think it was April 10th, right before we uh, started traveling, you know, that was that was the whole conversation about the Fed is going to have to crush the markets in order to tame inflation. That's their goal. Um, and you know, I I said, look, I'm probably late to the party and figuring this out. And the metaphor was, you know, being in a nightclub, the party's going, the drinks are flowing, the music is playing, but at some point this party will end and investors will be forced outside into the cold. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, listen, you know, I was one of the, I, I still don't, I mean, look, I was clearly wrong from, from there. I, I didn't think that they were going to go as aggressive or the market was going to react as, as bad as, uh, as, as it had. Um, but using that analogy, I would say we were one of those people who were still at the party. The lights were turned on and, uh, we were the only ones left. Yeah. It feels like that. Right. <laughs> yeah. But I, but I would, I would say, you know, if we think about where are we, right. Cause you asked me that a month ago, where are we? And, and my point was, look, I think the, the last calls already happened, um, but the music is still playing and people are still sipping the drinks that they have, right? So mm-hmm. the metaphor was that the Fed is going to stop injecting um, liquidity into the system because they're they're stopping their um, bond buying program. Mm-hmm. And now, actually, this week, um, they're they're selling treasuries for for um, I think the first time since COVID started. Uh, I could mm-hmm. be wrong on that. But uh, this is the start of the quantitative tightening where now money is going to go out of the system instead of going mm-hmm. into the system. Mm-hmm. So uh, this is the moment really, right, where the lights are coming on and the music is cutting off. Um, I, I actually, I don't think, you know, the party's over yet. And this is where the metaphor probably starts to fall apart a little bit because, um, you know, people can leave, like, you know, there's some panic selling and then people can come back as well, right? If, yeah, if it's not like it's not like you can go home and, you know, get right. in bed and then decide, <laughs> hey, you know what, I'm going to go back out. <laughs> it's not like you could do that. So. Yeah, I need one more crack at that party. Yeah, no, yeah, usually, exactly. it doesn't work that way. <laughs> but but so I, I my point is that um, it's important to remember this is the start of the tightening cycle, not the end, right? Mm-hmm. Now, the market is forward thinking. So, for example, you know, the Fed has hiked rates about 75 bips um, since the start of the year. But the the bond rates have moved up 150 basis points, right? Mm-hmm. So the market is already looking forward and doing some of the Fed's job, right? So I think that's important to remember too. Um, so basically, we're we're starting this phase of quantitative ti- quantitative tightening, and the thesis is that the Fed is intentionally crushing the markets to reverse what they call the wealth effect, right? Mm-hmm. The wealth effect being. The value of your home goes up. The value of your stock portfolio goes up. The value of you know your Bitcoin goes up, and suddenly you feel really rich, right? right? So you right. feel wealthy, 
And, you know, maybe you sell some of those assets, but, but regardless, you go out and, and spend a little bit more, um, you know, maybe you're less inclined to work because you feel really wealthy and you feel like that wealth is going to last a long time. Mm-hmm. Right. Now we go, we're going the other way. You're seeing these assets um, correcting and being repriced and it makes cash valuable again. Right. So you're seeing now for the first time in, in a long time, companies starting to talk about preserving cash um, and, and how they're going to be really focused on cash flow and how they're going to be tight with their money. Um, so, so that is really what the Fed wants. So it seems to be working. But remember, this stuff is going to take time. Mm-hmm. And so the goal is this is supposed to trickle down from financial markets into the real economy and start to have an actual effect on dampening the real economy. Yeah, you know, and this is where right before this episode, you and I were chatting, damping the real economy. I, I don't think that that effect has really come to the economy. Obviously, not right now. Obviously, it's only it's only been one quarter, right? It's gonna it's gonna take a little while before this occurs. But you know, um, the economy is still doing really great. It's the jobs numbers came out; they were really good. Mm-hmm. Um, people are, are, are people who want to be employed are employed, right? You know, you had the great resignation. A lot of people started doing whatever they wanted. I think I forget who I was. I was talking to one entrepreneur and he's, uh, he was saying that, um, it's still very difficult to get people. Um, it's still very difficult to, to get people to, to, to fulfill roles. And then even for some higher jobs that he has, he's like, look, it's not, it's not like we're, we're even taking talent away from other companies. We're going to people who are unemployed and they're asking for, you know, the moon and back. Right. And he just can't seem to afford it. So, I mean, that sentiment shift has not happened. And obviously, the economy hasn't felt the effects yet. And it just kind of goes into what you were saying about as soon as once you try to sort of remove this wealth effect and people do start realizing that, oh, okay, well, I do kind of have to go back. It's like, well, will there, A, will there be a job to go back to? Right. Um, if people stop, stop hiring. Do I really think that the Fed is going to, and this kind of goes back to my comment that, that I made. Uh, about a month ago is I, you know, I I think the Fed can pull these levers and use that analogy as well to sort of cool the market down. But do you really think the Fed is going to do that to bring Main Street down? And I still don't think that they're going to. And again, like, listen, you know, I'm I'm eating my hat right now. But um, I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Look, I I think pretty simply, like nobody wants to uh, talk about causing a recession. Right. I mean, that's that's nobody wants to talk about, um, you know, increasing the unemployment rate. But ultimately, we're we're living through the problem of you know too much money, right? I mean mm-hmm. this, this inflation problem. Though, if you go back, uh, you know, uh, actually a little more than a month, the reason I flipped and was like, hey, this inflation thing is 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 going to cause the Fed to be really aggressive. It's because inflation wrecks the whole system. When inflation gets out of control, it causes so many problems in the system. And I, and I keep going mm-hmm. back to the basics of. When people can't afford to feed their family because food prices are going up 10, 20 percent um, at a certain there's actually like some kind of a historical equation they show when it gets to a certain number, um, typically you have just instability and revolution and riots because uh, people just, you know, if they can't afford to feed their family, even when they're working, um, it just causes all kinds of societal problems. Mm-hmm. So the the I think, you know, to your point, people are thinking, well, they don't want to crash the economy. They don't want to crash the market in an election year. But I think the problems are actually bigger than that. So um, I, I think actually their goal is to cool off the economy. Um, and, and that starts by really re-rating the market downwards. And I, I, that to me is what we're living through right now. But I just want to also say they just started, right? I don't think, mm-hmm. I don't think this is the end. Um, and that's probably a lot of what you're seeing now, very recently in markets, where people are suddenly going, hey, let's, uh, you know, I know things are down 10, 20, 30, 40%, depending on the name, uh, but I want to wait, right? So so why you're seeing that switch in mindset is people are like, hey, there's there's still a lot more to come. Now, are gotcha. they right? Are, are they wrong? Who knows, right? Every name is going to be different. And that's part of what the theme is today is, is when you're seeing so much pain and indiscriminate pain and, and indiscriminate selling, they're mm-hmm. usually buried in there almost always is some opportunities and usually some pretty good opportunities. Yeah. But is this the time to, are, are you still, are you coming into catching, to catching a falling knife or is this, time, is this the time to step in? I mean, obviously no one knows, 
Um, that's an actual question that I'm asking you. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Okay. <laughs> yeah, no, oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> well, so so let's keep going. So so let me just talk kind of broadly about what some of the things we're seeing. So, um, you're you know the real economy is still very strong. So there there's more hurting they need to put on this to actually get the economy to roll over. Right. So there are, you know you're seeing them. It's a raising housing wealth. Um, although housing hasn't repriced that much, but interest rates going from you know three percent to five percent is very meaningful over time. Uh, you know you're seeing Bitcoin value getting wiped out. Uh, the stock market's taking its toll. Uh, you're actually seeing companies now talking about taking a step back. So Amazon, which has been the largest uh, absorber of industrial space, now is saying they have too much space. Right? We we had we took all that space in because of COVID, but now we have too much space. Uber recently just said that hiring is going to be viewed as a privilege. So they're they're going to be really tight about hiring and they want to get their unit economics in check before they scale because cash flow is so important. Mm-hmm. Right? So, um, you know, in Uber's words, they ha- there's a seismic shift going on in the market and they need to adjust to that. Right? So anytime you think there's a seismic shift going on, Abby, I mm-hmm. think you got to be careful about, you know, sticking your neck out too much. Um, but at the same time, it's impossible to time these things. And the fact that people are so negative right now, everyone is so negative, that kind of piques my interest. And you go, okay, now let's start looking at what's going on. Let's see mm-hmm. if we can start finding positions um, that that you know maybe are getting washed out, right? And the key thing is to watch is you know the inflation metrics and the labor market metrics. And inflation is actually forcing some people back into the labor market, right? So remember, all of this is is being done to tame inflation. And when it starts to turn, which will take some time, I think, but when it starts to turn, very likely the Fed at some point will start to go the other way and have to start cutting rates again. So this is a bit of a game, but it's just hard to say what the timing is. And I don't think it's I don't think it's all predicated on the timing. I think you have to figure out what makes sense at every at every kind of level. Yeah, for sure. And I, and I think there's a lot more to it than just the Fed. The Fed is obviously extremely important, but you know, right now there there is on the macro side, you know, I was as I was saying the economy is strong. I meant I really meant like the North American economy. Um there is also a war going on. China's going back into lockdown. There's, you know, there was a, an EV boom that was happening. Those mm-hmm. seem to sort of, sort of, those are seem starting to contract. Critical metals are coming down as well. You know, you mentioned two names, but those are both tech names, right? Those are both tech names based totally. on um, the U.S. Obviously, they have global mm-hmm. brand recognition operations everywhere. Um, but you know, it's tech was one one sector that got hit hit the hardest. So, I mean, when Uber comes out with a with an article like that, it I, I feel like it's obviously self serve to sort of defend their position. Um, but I agree with you in 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 everything that you're saying that yes, conserving cash seems to be the main theme over here. I don't see companies spending as much in terms of marketing. You don't see as much news flow as you and I sort of uh, covered on the last episode. Um, so I mean, like, look, listen, it's people are being more more tight with their pocketbooks, right? Which ultimately, right? It, it's started in the financial market. It's flowing down to the companies, and then the the goal is for it to flow down to people. Yeah. So, so people, start which being... I don't think it's anywhere close to doing at the moment. I mean, but again, like exactly, the, the, it, it could it could happen in the snap of a finger, right? You never know. Well, it, no, I, I think what you said is perfect, right? And and you know when we talk about sort of the mirror image of 2020, um, one of the lessons for me in 2020 was, you know, having this thesis on COVID. Um, that, hey, this is going on longer than people think, and we're getting the sugar high from the Fed. Uh, but the big lesson for me was don't fight the Fed. And mm-hmm. when they want to pour trillions of dollars on the market, they will move the market. Mm-hmm. And in that case, they were moving it. You know, So like the last few weeks, we've had nothing but down weeks, right? I think there was some data like this is one of the worst weeks, one of the worst months in like 50 years or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you know that indiscriminate selling day over day over day, not ne- it feels like it's never ending. You know, you get maybe one little green day and then then it go- reverses. That doesn't that kind of remind you of the mirror image of what happened in 2020 when you know when the Fed turned and started pouring money on. You had so many green days in the market in a row, right? Every yeah. single day was green. You got maybe a red day, and then the Fed would you know say, oh, we're we're doing some new thing or or reinforcing their support, and then it would just keep going. Right. So I, I think that, that the extreme negative, um, sentiment and the extreme sell-off 
this is this is what they're trying to achieve. But to your point, Abby, it's going to take time for this to actually affect how real people behave um, and and start to actually have an impact on inflation. But what I learned, the mistake I made last time was, okay, it's great to have a thesis, but you need to actually put these markers in the sand and start to watch the data, right? And mm-hmm. if if the data starts moving you know, uh, against the thesis, well, then you need to be aware of that, right? So in our case, if you start seeing you know, spending slow down and inflation start to level out and go the other way and labor, you know, people start to come back in the labor force. Um, those are going to be signs that, you know, the Fed doesn't have to tighten as much, right? Whereas if the spending is still really strong and the inflation keeps, you know, uh, d- doesn't seem to die down, they're going to have mm-hmm. to keep hitting this thing with a hammer until it breaks. Hmm. Okay. That's 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 interesting. I mean, so like, what you're looking at consumer data and like unemployment rate to sort of get to that. Yeah, I mean, look, you don't even need to be that granular. Like, literally, you watch the CPI data and just and just listen to the different Fed people when they talk about interpreting the data, right? Because that's mm-hmm. what they what they're talking about a lot is is interpreting the data, right? We're, we we need to be data dependent. We're going to do this, and then we're going to see what the data tells us, mm-hmm. right? So I think that'll be a big part of it. But but to go back to your question, Abby, you know, like what do you actually do in markets like this? Well, well let's talk about what is actually happening in markets, right? Like what what are we actually seeing? So from a fundamental perspective, I think there's I think there's really three things happening. The first is a repricing of uh, the multiples of these companies. So interest rates are like gravity in the investment world, right? As rates rise, you're turning up the gravity and and you're you're bringing up the multiples of all the companies, right? Mm-hmm. And if you've ever done any, you know, math on modeling, just the the impact of increasing a multiple, so multiple expansion um, is very painful. So compression is is uh, a very you know beautiful cycle as an investor you make a lot of money when you go the other way it really hurts mm-hmm. right and mm-hmm. things that are priced every minute like stocks they're the most fluid right whereas things like real estate they really take time to adjust and the adjustment is super painful and in the real estate you know in the commercial real estate sector mm-hmm. we've seen some some repricing but not that much you know interest rates have moved 2% but yields have not moved 2%. It's just the sellers are not going to move that quickly. Mm-hmm. So it takes time for that to reverberate. Yeah, for sure. And that kind of goes back, and, you know, sorry, as you were talking about this, I was thinking back to correlation. You know, real estate has always been, I'm using air quotes here, an, un- un- an uncorrelated asset class, the stock market, right? You know, if you have a real estate portfolio, it could sort of protect you against some shocks to a certain degree, right? Sure. Um, and typically, you know, whenever, whenever you're trying to balance out a portfolio, you, you create different asset classes, um, to sort of stop you from shocks, but there's one thing that I've sort of learned over over you know my my career and just talking to to, to yourself and uh, like different money managers, et cetera, is that if there's a liquidity component to anything, there's always going to be a correlation. It doesn't matter if you're buying precious metals, critical metals, cannabis, psychedelics, tech, consumer staples, especially whatever. If people can sell in times of fear, people will sell, and the prices go down. Right. That's that's a great point. Yeah, and that's something that. Like that's something that I that I saw all of last week because, you know, typically in times of turmoil like this, like gold should be doing really good. But if, you know, gold companies are actually get, are are getting hammered. And it's like, well, why are they getting hammered? Right? Even energy, like you got oil being up quite high last week or so. Energy stocks are down as well, right? Mm-hmm. And it's just because there's a lot of trepidation to it. So just you know, bear that in mind. And I think I think you said it the best with commercial real estate. Yes, there's a little bit of a lag that kind of comes, but it does eventually catch up, right? Because there is a liquidity component. It has to. It has to. Yeah. Right. And and to your point, commercial real estate is a lot less liquid than these other things. So, um, you know, if, if you're nervous over your your commercial property, not your house, but your commercial property, that's a long sales cycle. It could yeah, take you. Sure you know, six months from, from start to finish to actually do a deal. Right. Yeah. So, that's like from finding a buyer, right? Well, yeah. Cause if you decide to list it, run a process, find a buyer, the buyer has to do due diligence, mm-hmm. then they go firm and then they have a period to close. Right. So mm-hmm. all of that can easily take four five, six months. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so to your point, right. About liquidity and the cost of capital, when money is free and there's basically unlimited capital, which is where we were maybe, you know, six plus months ago, um, CapEx intensive businesses can fund themselves really easily and growth 
is more important than profit profitability at all costs. So, so people don't necessarily care about how profitable you are, but they care how fast you're growing because they're looking out, right? Um, now, if you look at it, the door has flipped very harshly and all of these companies on their earnings calls, and I'm not talking about cannabis yet. Okay. I'm going to get to that in a second. All of these companies are talking about cash flow, right? That is the number one thing people are talking about. And yeah. profitability is much more important than growth right now. So that's how the door has swung. And the truth is likely somewhere in the middle, right? Yes, profitability matters. Yes, cash flow matters. It matters, especially in relation to how much cash you have in the bank. Um, but over time, growth matters too, right? We can't lose sight of that. So, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Well, that, that, that's all I'm getting to is that in these, you know, to your point, Abby, when everything is getting sold off, right? Uh, people go to extreme conservatism and they go, look, I'm going to buy, but I'm going to buy, you know, things that match, you know, trailing 12 month cash flow, right? Like, they have it like a checklist. I'm only going to buy the stuff that makes me feel really, really good. Um, mm -hmm. And that's kind of, it feels like that's where we are right now. Yeah. I mean, I, I talked to a lot of people and what a lot of, what, not a lot, what, basically every single person has said to me, it's like, Hey, Abby, you know, stop calling me. Yeah. Well, first that's, that's one of them. It's like, you know, I've unsubscribed. I'm on the do not call us. How did you get this phone number? Yeah, exactly. Why are you at my door? <laughs> but, but here I'll, I'll tell you one thing. So one of my uh, conversation that I had today, actually two people, two conversations that I had today, they said, Hey, listen, I'll talk to you on ABC. And I was like, what do you mean by that? And they're like, I'll talk to you on anything but cannabis. I was like, Oh, okay, oh Jesus. <laughs> which, which I thought was, which I thought was a great acronym. That's, that's um, so fitting. Yeah. And then I was like, oh, well, okay. I'm like, well, what are you, what are you kind of doing with your portfolio right now? And they were like, well, what I'm actually doing is I'm high grading. I'm like, yeah, obviously. And so mm -hmm. what I found was across the board, everybody is going up from, you know, small caps to mid tiers, mid tiers to large caps are just going up. Right. So mm -hmm. there's no small cap deals that are sort of getting done. Um, and it's just, it's, it's, it's sentiment that's kind of go going across the board. And to your point there, you're talking about cash flow being a metric that everybody's sort of looking at. Mm -hmm. I would say people are going even more defensive than that. They're not just looking at cash flow for high growth sectors, even though you're right, innovation and growth is extremely important. I think a lot of people are going back into like banks, bank stocks, you know, totally. telecoms, like totally. utilities, like big CPG, like, like defensible state. Sorry. And just to be clear, that's what I'm talking about. Like people are looking for cash flow. And the industries that typically have those, right? To your point about those those kind of more stable, boring industries, yeah, though they're getting some love now, right? As people rotate into them, I mean, a lot well, of there's, value there's is going, the name of the game, right? Everybody's a value right. investor now. They're they're still going down, by the way, most of them, but they're going down less than the the you know the the unprofitable growth companies are getting absolutely slapped right now. Yeah, right. So th so the last point is we talked about re-rating of multiples. We talked about availability of, of, um, of capital. The last point is, and this is, this is the tricky one, is that the fundamentals, even for the last 12 months, are normalizing. So there's a lot of noise created by COVID. Because, and, and we lived through this in cannabis, right? The, the fact that when people were sitting at home, uh, forced to sit at home, they were, and they were really stressed because of COVID, they were consuming more cannabis, right? Mm -hmm. Now, that is normalizing. So that means um, the first of all, it means the crazy growth that we're having is mostly gone. And for some people, it means that their consumption is going down. Right. So we lived through that. I think we're mostly through that. Uh, but other industries are living through that now. Right. And um, an example that I have is um, uh, Mike from MJ Stock Trader had told me about this company Upstart, which I looked into. And uh, Abby, if you remember, that famous moment on CNBC almost exactly a year ago where, uh, you know, they ask some, some guy, he goes, Oh, this stock upstart is great. It's killing it. It's up 25%. And, and they ask him, Hey, what does that company do? And he goes, Oh, I, I can't, I'm sorry. I lost you. I can't hear you. <laughs> you remember that? That was a, that was a clip yeah. that was going around. Yeah. 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 And, and so what upstart actually does is they're like an automated lending platform. Right. Mm -hmm. And I know very little about it, but I've kind of been keeping an eye on it. And, uh, you know, they help automate the loan process. And, but, but, you know, what worried me when I looked at it is a lot of times these things are actually kind of subprime lending where you're, mm -hmm. you're lending to, to people who are maybe, you know, not regular bank clients. Maybe they are, but what, what I was worried about and what I'd heard about is the fact that loan delinquency was, was way lower than it should have been in 2020 and 2021 because 
there was so much free money poured onto people um, that the low credit quality was not defaulted, mm-hmm. right? They were able they had, to- Because they had UBI or they had CERB or whatever coming in yes. to pay their bills. Yeah. Right. And so that's a signal, right, that something's not normal here, right? Yeah. That, that's going to normalize when that goes away. Mm-hmm. You get what I'm saying? So so let's go to the upstart example. Um, and again, I don't know much about this company. I'm just using it as an example. Uh, you can say, look, this company made, you know, 300 million, or I think it's like they do like four and a half billion or something of loans every quarter. Um, but the question is, how do those loans perform going forward, right? In a more normalized economy when people don't have all this free money? Yeah, it's true. Well, I mean, like, listen, the first red red flag that we saw in the beginning of 2022 was when, you know, when unemployment was 9%, right? And I was like, hey, listen, like, that's not a true unemployment number because people are still getting money and they're still spending that money. Mm-hmm. Right? So you're saying in 2020? In 2020, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yes, right. Okay. Um, that so unemployment like, looked really high, but in fact, those unemployed people had more money. Some, some of them had did. more money than they did before. Yeah, exactly. Exactly, Right. And so, you know, that kind of makes sense of why all, all this is sort of happening. And now it's like, hey, you're right. That was that was the pendulum swinging to one super, super, super extreme. Mm-hmm. And now it's kind of come back to the other way. Yeah, I wouldn't even say it's so extreme, right? It's just normalizing now. So now you're going from so, – so my point is just these fundamentals. You know, if you look actually, analysts have taken down estimates – Again, not cannabis now, but have taken down estimates on almost every single stock uh, across the board because uh, inflation, first of all, is eating into earnings now, yeah. right? They're they're having wage inflation, they're having materials inflation, they're having problems, um, and then they're having problems fulfilling their orders on the demand side because of supply chains. So mm-hmm. this is the really tricky part, and this is actually where I think cannabis has an edge on everybody else that we'll get to in a second which is that I think from a fundamental perspective, we're actually going to do better going forward than some of these other companies. And so I think what you're going to get right now, it's indiscriminate selling, right? Everyone's just trying to raise cash and, and you know avoid the pain. But eventually, people are going to have to start sorting through some of this stuff and figuring out, hey, who's, who's actually going to perform better in this environment? Who is just you know pumped up on COVID numbers? Um, and, and where are things going to normalize out to, right? So that degree of uncertainty, it's what's causing some of this volatility. Look, I agree with you. I think that cannabis is going to perform, fundamentally speaking, the actual underlying businesses are going to perform very well. Um, but you got to remember, there are still some hurdles for investors to kind of step in, right? Mm-hmm. So I don't think we're going to get that same level of re-rating um, because institutions can't come in. You know, you of heard Van- like there's a whole Vanguard thing uh, not doing custody anymore. Um, there's a lot. There's a lot of roadblocks of sort of for capital coming in. So, so you know, you and I, we've seen this. We've seen improving fundamentals and re- and, and a disconnect between price and, and the underlying asset, right? And so, cannabis, although you're right, could start doing very well. I think it'll take a lot. It'll take a long time for it to actually trickle into the stock price. But again, yeah. I could be completely wrong. Well, let's, so let's differentiate a couple of things you just said, right? So first of all, and I want to be really, really clear on this because um, I've seen so many people say this recently that I, I think is really not right. Uh, people keep saying, hey, the fundamentals are improving, but the stock prices are going down. And that's just not true. The fundamentals are not improving, right? The fundamentals are deteriorating for cannabis. So the 2020 boom and actually the 2021 boom that we saw fundamentals were improving quarter over quarter like clockwork right starting in q3 and continuing on now to q1 of this year fundamentals are going the wrong way so i want to be really really clear on that these markets are maturing there's too much supply demand is actually going down probably because of this covid normalization um so that is a real problem okay um, i can see that demand going down for definitely definitely being um a factor, but yeah, but, but I think supply is actually a bigger factor. Like a lot but, of these but, markets were undersupplied, and now they've become adequately supplied or oversupplied. Yeah, we saw that happen in Canada. But I'm saying, like, in for for cannabis specifically, there's still new markets that are coming online. Totally. The total growth population, sorry, the total addressable market is is growing. Totally. Um, but yeah, my, and there's my point is, so, sorry, my point is just I've heard. I wanted to say this very clearly because I've heard several people say it makes no sense. Disconnected. The fundamentals are improving. And the um, 
the stocks are going down. And it's like, well, that was that's not really true, right? Like the fundamentals are deteriorating. Arguably, the stocks are going down more, right? So there's still a reactionary effect there. I just want to be clear. So once the fundamentals turn the other way, right, it, it could just help the story out more, mm-hmm. right? Because it's been a while since we've actually seen good numbers be posted. Yeah. Right. So that, that I just want to be be clear here. But you're absolutely right, Abby. The numbers could go our way and that we don't have to get the capital, right? The markets, to your point, have a lot of barriers still. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not a prediction on the stock prices. It's just to say that I think at some point, people will start to sift through all this wreckage and figure out who's doing well in this new environment. Um, and certain people, I think, are going to get are going to show worse fundamentals. And cannabis, I think, especially with New Jersey, will start to show better fundamentals going forward. That's my mm-hmm. hope. Yeah, yeah, as yeah, exactly. The newer markets that are coming online will get that boom, but then you know, more mature markets. We've seen it happen in California. We've seen it happen in Canada. You're, you mentioned seen it happen in Mass. We've seen it happen in Pennsylvania. We've seen it happen in Florida. Mm-hmm. Like even the limited license markets aren't safe. Yeah. So, so we talked about all these fundamental reasons the market is being repriced, right? But look, let's keep it real. I mean, the market moves on technicals more than fundamentals. Um, and bonds and stocks are both getting smoked, right? Nowhere to hide but cash. I think you're seeing, you know, a lot of forced liquidation, right? Margin calls happening. Um, and to your point, Abby, when when liquidity becomes a problem and you have forced sales, it all moves together, right? People have to sell A to be able to pay for B, and and you know that's the market all moving in one direction, which it mm-hmm. feels like we're living through right now. Actually, here here's a here's a little funny story that um, I was out, out with a friend on Friday, and we were chatting, and he asked me, he's like, "Hey, like, have you ever had a margin call?" I was like, "No, no, I don't really trade on margin." Mm-hmm. And he's like, "I just got one, and I didn't know what it was." And I was like, "What do you mean you didn't know what it was?" <laughs> Boy, <laughs> and, uh, I was like, "What do you mean you didn't know what it was?" I'm like, "You borrowed money from the from like your brokerage firm to to buy stocks," and he's like. Oh, I didn't realize that. Like, he didn't know the difference between settlement date, settlement date balance and trade date balance on his account mm-hmm. was like one is how much money he actually has, one is how much money he's borrowing. And he's like, "Yeah, like they made me sell all these positions." Like, you know, luckily he's fine. Like, he he didn't know it, but it was mm-hmm. just saying it was just funny to see that. Not funny to see, but it was just it was, yeah, it was pretty funny to see actually. He's a good yeah. friend of mine, so I could make fun <laughs> of him. <laughs> well, I, you yeah. know, I I guess it's it's one of those things too, right? Where um. Uh, you know, I, uh, this Warren Buffett quote that I, I like to mangle a little bit, but it goes, uh, you know, when there's a, when there's a, a high tide out there, feel free to swim naked. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I changed it a little bit, but you know, the, the point being that, um, you know, you can, you can sort of take more risk and people act more recklessly, you know, when the market allows it. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and now we're cleaning up a lot of that bad behavior. So your, your friend, for example, being margin called and not, not having that experience before. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the market we were living in of ultra liquidity and people doing some pretty crazy stuff that, um, you know, the you know, it, it's it's fun to go out and have a good time. But the bill comes at the end and that's when the rubber hits the road and, and you start to figure some things out. Oh, yeah, exactly. And so like this whole forced liquidation stuff, like he didn't realize that, hey, like when the margin call happens, they just start selling things in your account. Right. You don't really get a choice. Right. They just do. No, it. Exactly. Yeah. And so what you're seeing is you're seeing the financial markets now start to hug more tightly to cash, which was, that was the point of all of this. Um, So, right. So what? Indiscriminate selling creates opportunities. You're throwing the baby out with the bathwater. It's an opportunity to buy quality at a discount and things that are less quality end up trading sometimes at fire sales. And that's to me, you know, the, often the dogs end up having the most upside um, because, you know, people just get out of them, right? The, the, so it's an opportunity to get quality. It's an opportunity to play on the edges too, if you get paid appropriately for doing it, mm-hmm. right? And, and I'm going to, you know, give a shout out here to what we're seeing with air. I mean, air is trading at, I think it's like $5 US uh, as of today. That's it's, uh, Monday, May 9th. Uh, and the company has its own issues, no doubt. But I mean, we're talking about like an equity value of 400 million, mm-hmm. right? Like, like that New Jersey asset they have is actually really, really good. I don't think people appreciate um, that, you know, the, the top tier of New Jersey is going to be Kiralee, Ferrano, and Terrasend. 
Um, but of the others, I actually think air is probably near the top of the pack because mm-hmm. that GDS, uh, it's called the garden state dispensaries, um, or, or GSD, I guess, um, the, that was a really well-established medical operator, uh, with a, with a really good grow that's just coming online or, or just getting approved to plant. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I don't know when they're going to get their approval, but there's no reason in my opinion, they won't get their approval. Right. So I don't know if it'll be the May 24th meeting or the June meeting, uh, but they're going to get there in terms of New Jersey and, you know, just layering New Jersey onto their, onto their current numbers. I mean, you're going to be, you're going to be um, trading at a pretty silly EBITDA multiple pretty soon, right? Once they turn that New Jersey asset online. So uh, I, again, I'm not saying air is the greatest operator ever, but I'm saying like when the company's gone down 50% in a month right. and it's trading at, you know, I don't know, pick a number, right? Four times this year's EBITDA conservatively. And they could um, potentially have one of the hottest markets come online. Totally, right? Well, you you could have, I mean, very likely, I would be amazed if you don't see it flip this quarter mm-hmm. for, for them, right? Where everyone else flipped previously. Um, sometimes those end up having the most upside. But again, don't try to time it. It's so hard to say when those things will flip. Because... Uh, because I, w- I want to go back to something that I had said earlier sure. that I think resonated well with you was that, you know, in bad markets, even good, like good news is muted, right? So even if that does happen, you know, mm-hmm. what's it really going to mean to air, right? Is it, is that what's going to turn this industry around? I don't think so. Well, I mean, uh, let me, let me put it this way. The real, um, uh, the hurting that, that air has been under the last 30 days really started when they missed that, um, New Jersey window, right? Because, like seven people, seven of their competitors, all the MSOs got it. They were the only MSO left out. Mm-hmm. So I do think that started this negativity cycle of what's wrong with air, right? Why did they not get it? Are they ever going to get it? Maybe they screwed up. Yeah, but, but, but I just mean, even if they do get it, I just think that there's so much negativity and pessimism in the markets, not just in cannabis, but broader markets in general. I just mm-hmm. don't, I can't see people stepping up and being like, yeah, like I'm going to take, take my chance on this one. Look, what you're saying is a fair point, and I'll always say I have no idea what these stocks are going to do in the short term. Um, you know, I I totally suck at at trying to trade in market time, so I, I really try not to. Mm-hmm. Uh, but look, when something when there's so much negativity put onto something, uh, and I just mean in general of the markets, and I mean specifically with air, uh, you know, those can often set up for really good rallies when there's any positivity, right? Because you've baked in so much negativity. So mm-hmm. I do think like just getting New Jersey, um, getting approved, right, which in my opinion is eminent, like it's, it's going to happen. Once they get that, I do think it'll stop the bleeding. But again, who knows, right? I mean, this, all of these stocks, there's really no telling when the bleeding stops. It's, it's, yeah. There's no way to know. And I think it's a fool's game to try to guess. Yeah, I mean, exactly. how, how many times did smart people are in our industry try to call the bottom over the last year? And I've always said to them, stop trying to call the bottom because anyone, you know, for how much people read charts and all that kind of stuff, I mean, look at where we are today, right? Every single call of bottom has been absolutely wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, certainly, look, we've averaged down and, and we've been wrong too, right? But we don't go in with the idea that, hey, this is the bottom and, and you know, now it's going up. So now we have FOMO of, of missing it, Right, right. So I think I think that's that's really really important. But you're making a great point, Abby. I mean, um, things that have extreme negative negativity can keep going that way. Yeah. So so this brings us to the conversation about cannabis. Okay, I know we've talked a lot about things that are very above our pay grade, and we have no business talking about. But here we are. So <laughs> going back to cannabis, right? So so I think it's important to read the room and talk about. You know, I talked about those those three things um, that are happening to fundamentals. Where where's cannabis in all of this? Okay, so so let's recap. Number one, repricing of earning multiples. Um, does this affect cannabis? Yes, it absolutely affects us because everything is relative, right? When um, when uh, Google and uh, Amazon are trading at more attractive multiples, um, obviously speculative industries like cannabis are going to have to trade at even a higher multiple in order to make up for it. Okay. Mm-hmm. The difference is, is that we actually have more room because we were already trading at more value type pricing. Um, so yes, it affects us, but not as badly. Okay. And if you ever run some math on like, you know, um, 
if you have a very uh, if, you, if you have a very high multiple and you go the other way, it, it's really more painful. Like the, the more expensive your stock is when you start to um, you know get discounted, it, it really hurts a lot more. But when you're already right. trading at uh, you know you know eight to ten times EBITDA, going down to six to eight is not as bad, right? So so yes, it hurts us, but not that bad. Mm-hmm. Um, repricing the cost of capital. Well, the cost of capital was already high. I don't think it's going to, you know, keep going down anymore. It's probably going to start, I think, moderating around the current levels and and maybe even blow out a little bit. Mm-hmm. But I will point out some good news, like New Lake, which is a REIT, just announced today that they just got debt financing at five five point seven 5.75%, right? That's a fixed rate for three years. That's pretty solid, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? AFC Gamma also just got institutional capital. Um, and and so that's really a positive sign for the industry overall. Uh, but repricing on the cost of capital, I don't think it's that bad for us, to be honest with you. Um, it's going to hurt everybody who's not an established operator a lot more than the big operators. Mm-hmm. And keep in mind, when the cost of capital goes up and capital is hard to get and it's hard to do CapEx projects... What that means is that um, it it basically extends the runway for the existing operators for a longer time. So when money is freely available and everybody's building, that just means prices are going to get compressed faster, mm-hmm. right? Now we have the opposite. So people who have already built facilities have a big advantage from a cost perspective, time perspective, et cetera. Yeah, for sure. And then people who are actually selling product already and don't have burn rates they're going to fare a lot better in this market, right? Absolutely. Um, and, yeah. and Abby, I mean, maybe you could talk a little bit about on the private market side for cannabis, what you're seeing and hearing on the cost of capital. How hard is capital to get for for equity? Oh, it's absolutely, it's extremely difficult. Like equity, I would say, I would say the equity, the private equity markets are non-existent. Unless if it's friends, families, or relationships that you've had for a long time, like it, mm-hmm. you just can't, you just can't solicit for for you can't raise equity in, in in this market, and that's not that's that's not just for uh, cannabis, right? I've seen it for you know EV charging deals. I've seen it for like critical metal deals. I've seen it for a lot of like a a, a gambit of different industries. Um, on the debt side, different story, right? There there are people who are willing to write uh, like prompt checks into debt financing, but the, the thing that we're seeing more on the debt side. A, the terms are a lot more onerous, mm-hmm. and B, they're more equity-like. Um, uh, they're, they're valuing debt, debt projects to be a little bit more equity-like, right? Mm-hmm. In terms of they want more of the upside, so they want warrant coverage. They they, they want they want a lot a lot a lot of different things, and fair enough because they're the only ones who are writing the check. And then the last thing is they are extremely extremely selective mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in who's getting financed. Right, right. Great, great point. So, so basically, what I'm saying is that there's a lot of deals chasing too few, like too little money, whereas previously it was a lot of capital chasing too few deals. Right. Right, and and so when there's too much money, everything gets funded. Right. When there's not enough money, well, no really- one looks. Yeah, everything gets funded. No one yeah. looks. DDs are really quick. It's mm-hmm. just you got that whole FOMO. If I don't fund them, then somebody else is going to fund them. Well, it, and also like a lot of times people who are who are issuing the debt it it's not their money right their job is often they're a fund they're a steward of the capital so they exactly. want to do they want to do good deals but they can't have the money sitting around right exactly and they're being their performance or compensation is based on how much money they get out the door um, it is still tied to performance so the the loans have to perform yeah. but you know going back to this this covid normalization in, in when money is flowing freely all the loans are performing right so yeah. Yeah. people go hey let's do 10 more of these um, and that, you know, to your point, that's going the other way. And I think that's making it harder for everybody to get financing, mm-hmm. right? Especially smaller operators. And, and and just a second on, uh, you know, we talk about safe banking. Some people have rightly pointed out that safe banking, um, you know, from a, from a banking perspective, uh, a lot of companies won't be able to get bank loans, right? If you're just starting out, you're a small social equity business, um, it's going to be hard to get a bank loan, right? You don't have revenue, you don't have EBITDA, you don't have cash flow, uh, and 280 is still a problem. Mm-hmm. So I would actually argue that the equity component of SAFE, the uplisting component of SAFE, is actually really important to opening the the equity floodgate capital 
because we need equity in the industry to fund you know, social equity and small operators, et cetera. And the way that typically happens is, you know, you, you let, you know, the, the top tier players uplist, you know, they make their investors a bunch of money and then investors see that and want to replicate that success. And so they go looking for what's next and they go looking for the, okay, who are the smaller players? Who are the mm-hmm. single state operators? Who are the social equity people in states that we like, right? And you're seeing that in reverse right now. When the, when the big guys are getting hammered, nobody's getting funded. Yeah, exactly. And because, and you know, a lot of people, I, I talk to a lot of entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs, sorry, and they just ask, well, why can't we get funded? You know, our valuation is very, very compelling. And you try to explain to them, well, hey, listen, you can go pick up an operator who is, you know, established, has liquidity has already been proven out, alleviated a lot more risk for probably the exact same price or same multiple or whatever, relatively speaking, as you guys, right? And it takes it, it, it takes a lot for them to understand. Yeah. And, and a lot of times they just don't want to hear it, right? So I don't care if the stock market went down, you know, 50% in, in a month. Um, you know, that's not my problem, right? As a private operator. Yeah, um, exactly. You know, or they say it's not my fault. You know, I, I, I uh, when I first got, got hired in real estate, my my interview, my manager told me, um, in this business, it might not be your fault, but it is your problem. And the point was that when you do deals, there's going to be all kind of problems you have to overcome, which which you might not have caused, but your job is to overcome it and get the deal closed. And that's how you get paid. Right. That's very good advice. I think so. It's it's very good mindset, right? And that yeah. always that always stuck. Man, with they me. gave that to you in your interview. Jeez, <laughs> <laughs> dropping wisdom on me. Yeah, yeah. They're like, uh oh, this kid. Yeah, he's yeah, gonna he, have a lot of problems. You absolutely. Know, just, just give him Abs- the good stuff right away. <laughs> absolutely. Okay, so so you know, kind of coming to the end here in terms of um, and so the last point, right? Fundamentals. So cannabis fundamentals were weak in Q4. They're even weaker in Q1. Uh, I think Q2 and Q3 will improve regardless because Q2 and Q3 are usually good cannabis sales months. So um, you get rid of that croptober, you know, black market effect that's hanging over from the fall. Um, the warm weather helps consumption. You have 420 in there. You have the summertime. Uh, so in general, those are good good sales months. Um, mm-hmm. Anyone with New Jersey exposure should have a good Q2 and a really good Q3. Uh, it'll be relative, you know, to their what their their stores are and their supply and et cetera. Uh, but anyone who doesn't have New Jersey, I think it's going to be a big question mark where their growth in twenty two will come from, right? Because because New Jersey is going to be the driver of growth for most of these companies for twenty two. Mm-hmm. Now, arguably, it won't be that great of a driver because they'll only have you know one or two or three stores online with limited wholesale, um, but it will be very profitable. Right. So, yeah. And these, these stores are potentially mega stores like, like you know, Cura Leaf mentioned today, they're run rating 100 million out of one store. Yeah, I mean, that that's absolutely insane, right? To, I mean, to that's that is insanity. That. Yeah. Right. 100 million out of one store. Not sustainable but, either, but, by the way. Yeah. But, okay, that's, that's what I was going to say. Like, yeah. you know, how long can they possibly do that for? But but think of it this way. Right. Uh-huh. Like, all this kind of goes back to exactly what you were saying in terms of, you know, those are great headlines. Right, like New mm-hmm. Jersey sells X Y Z in one month, totally, right? and no doubt. Like, hopefully, it's like you know insanely high numbers, kind of like what we saw with Illinois. Yeah, that's that's fair, right? Um, and and compared to you know Illinois, I think had fifty or sixty stores the day it turned on. Mm-hmm. New Jersey has twelve or thirteen, yeah. right? I, I mean, very small numbers in comparison, right? So, um, it's going to be interesting to see, and and I think just given how slow New Jersey's moving, um you're not going to see that many stores open up over the year, which, you know, it would actually be nicer to have some of these stores open up. Um, so that could end up being a problem, right? As we go forward, if, if more growth comes online than stores, it could throw things out of whack. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. but for 22, at least like party on like New Jersey's going to be great, uh, going to boost margin and revenue and be a big growth driver. So that's great. Right. So just to recap, kind of where cannabis falls into this repricing of multiples. Yes, but not so bad repricing the cost of capital. Yeah, maybe, but not the end of the world. Actually, maybe a benefit for the big guys Um, and fundamentals. I think actually apples to apples will look pretty good. Um, You know, our Q2 and Q3 over Q1 
will actually, I think, be be good compared to a lot of other businesses. Um, so this could be a positive for us. But of course, maybe nobody cares, right? Maybe nobody is trading on the fundamentals and, and whatever. But um, I do think a lot of the big money will care where, where the fundamentals are going. And it'll be nice to to stop going down and start going the other way. Yeah, well, I hope the the other thesis that you have kind of comes true where you know, you start seeing these lineups and because it's so close to, to home for people on Wall Street institution guys, they start saying, Hey, you know, why are the, why uh, there's a recession looming? Why are these, why, like, why are there people waiting around the corner for, for these stores? And maybe, you know, maybe it turns some heads and get some, some more eyeballs into the sector. Anything that does that will sort of help us in the, in the long run. Um, you know, my, my whole thing right now is that, uh, I'm not rushing to get in. Right. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, just, just being very selective on, on what you buy and, you know, you can you can never time the market, but uh, just just know that just because something's down seventy percent doesn't mean it can't go down another fifty percent, right? It's yeah, the we're, biggest we're, things that sorry living that right now. Yeah, <laughs> you tell, that's the name the name of my portfolio. Yeah, no, no, no I'm saying there's still another fifty percent that could possibly. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm well aware. Yeah. Don't tell me, you know, the decline button on those margin calls can only happen so much. <laughs> so, so the, um, you know, going back to that episode we did a month ago, you know, my point was like, okay, I think this is happening. I think QT's going to put a hurting on these stocks. You know, why am I not selling and why did I not sell? It's, it's for the reasons I, I talked about in that episode, you know, I think the growth potential out two years is, is incredible. And so, you know, I don't want to get too cute. Yes, I think we're in for a hurting, but actually, when the dust uh, settles, whenever that is, and I don't know when that is, uh, I actually think um, that we will be in a relatively good position, relative, you know, being the keyword. Mm-hmm. So let's close it out. Uh, let's have some fun. Let's talk about sentiment and earnings calls. Um, and, you know, we go to, to Leon Cooperman. Um, we are all retail. And uh, I wrote th- this guy, you know, this is the mood, right, of, of just people being upset and sick and hey what are you guys going to do about this share price mm-hmm. um and and look let, let's be clear i mean gti has been the poster child has been the golden boy of the capital markets um and that that position's really been earned you know they have done an incredible job on capital market strategy on capital allocation on executing on the limited license playbook to a t Right, they they really um, dominated uh, that the idea of limited license markets, and one of the things that they've done really differently is they've played their cards extraordinarily close to the chest. Mm-hmm. And from an IR perspective, you know they've they've taken a very aggressive stance, which is to be, in my opinion, standoffish in terms of IR. Where, you know, for example, like we were just at Benzinga in Miami. And every single company was there, right? The C-suite from every company had some kind of presence there, you know, mm-hmm. almost almost everybody, um, except for GTI, right? Where and G- and that's not the exception. That's that's fairly normal, right? GTI mm-hmm. is they do not come to these conferences. Um, they they you know even if you have a meeting with them, they are the masters of telling you very little, right? Of of all the companies. If you look at GTI, they don't share information about how how big their cultivation assets are, mm-hmm. right? So so they play it so close to the chest, and you know that model probably made a lot of sense in the earlier days when um, you know people really didn't. There was so much going on; people didn't understand certain markets, right? And, and so it, it the information was more fragmented, and it made more sense to be more secretive. Uh, but I think you got to read the room sometimes and see that the mood has changed. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this, this is an IR knife fight right now. I mean, the, the game has changed. And if you're not showing your investors the love and not opening up and telling them what's going on, um, you know, they're liable to sell your stock, which still yeah. trades at a premium, and buy something like Verano. Right? I mean, I mean, that's a very real thing that's happening across the market. Um, especially when people have these huge capital losses that they can realize on. Mm-hmm. So I, I think you got to read the room and change your strategy and, and open up and tell people, hey, why are you not bigger in Florida? What's your strategy here? What's your plan here? I mean, you're, you're, it's not like 
you're one of five in Florida, right? I mean, you're, you're number like 12 out of 20 in Florida. Mm -hmm. It's not like keeping your strategy a secret is helping, right? So um, I, I think there needs to be some realization of that and, and some kind of change of that. And, and hopefully that, you know, that um, an irate, you know, Lee Cooperman was a bit of a wake up call that, you know, we, we need to shift our strategy a little bit here. Right. In, in terms of how we're handling the IR side. Yeah. Open the kimono up just a tiny bit, you know, give him a taste. <laughs> just, it's, a, it's a very unwelcome visual, but yes. <laughs> I'll talk about my kimono. Yeah. Right. Oh, that's even better. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, Burn that in your image before you go to bed. But, but so, so the point is, you know, look, the good news is a company like GTI is doing all of the big things right. I mean, they're in the right states. They're executing on the operations. I think they get credit for being, um, you know, one of the cleanest operators and and one of the best investors in the space. Mm -hmm. uh, but but I, I really do think, you know, if I compare it, let's say for example to um, Kim Rivers from TrueLeave, who also has a very cheap stock, by the way, um, much cheaper than GTI right now. Uh, you know, Kim is at every conference. She will talk to every investor. Um, is a total IR machine, and you always walk away from a meeting with Kim Rivers thinking like, damn, that person knows what they're doing. They She shares such good intel. Um, it, it is it is the polar opposite of the GTI IR strategy. Um, mm -hmm. And, and I, think, I think it's going to pay dividends, especially in this kind of market, right? Now, they have their own issues about not having New Jersey and New York and, and missing that Northeast exposure. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that that IR strategy is exactly what's needed in today's market. Yeah, constant communication with your shareholder base, keeping them up to date for sure. Making Keep, them feel, yeah, I was going to say making them feel uh, valued. Making them feel the love, right? I mean, that. Yeah, exactly. Giving them a reason to hold your stock when prices are down and right? not sell. That's what we talked about last time. Yeah, because the game is stop me from selling this stock and buying you know, the, the, you know, the other stock, right. And capturing my capital loss. Yeah. And so I, I think hopefully we see that change. The good news is it's not that hard to change. Right. Um, but there needs to be the willingness to change. So mm -hmm. I don't know. We'll see. Um, lastly, and, and, and we'll talk about this, you know, more in the future, but, um, Kira Leaf had their Q1 call and, um, you know, kind of switch CEOs at the last minute, you know, Joe Barron is heading a CPG division, maybe sort of unspecified. Um, and, and I think it's just kind of, you know, the results actually kind of show you where the industry is right now, where they opened a lot more retail doors, um, and had flat revenue, mm -hmm. right. Uh, challenge for the industry right now. So, uh, hopefully with New Jersey turning online and New Jersey will be an absolute beast for Cure Relief, no doubt. Uh, is a beast for Cure Relief. Um, hopefully, we're going to start to see things go the other way now. Uh, but look, these kind of things, to be perfectly frank, they really do not help when you've had a changeover of CEO, CFO, and head of IR um, in the last like three or four months. Yeah, right. That's yeah. not what investors want to see. And I think companies need to be careful about putting too much positive spin on these things. I think you got to read the room. There's a lot of investor frustration right now, and you have to address that head on because uh, people want to hear that you get it and that you're speaking truth to them, not that you're just papering over issues. Yeah, exactly. And even, you know, as you're rhyming through all the issues or not the issues, all the events that have occurred with, um, with them, it's like even in a good market, that doesn't look well. That doesn't bode well, right? Sure. But I mean, you know, to your point, and this is not a good market, right? So yeah. Any bad news is amplified, is amplified, right? So it's not enough to just be like, oh, yeah, we're transitioning, blah, blah, blah. Like, like you got to really give people, um, you know, acknowledge what's going on and, and, and give people a story they can sink their teeth into. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and we'll see, you know, to be fair, like, you know, let's, you know, Kira Leaf says they're doing a lot of analyst calls and they're going to update people. Um, so, so let's see. But I just wanted to point out that's part of what's going on here in this industry um, there is frustration with, you know, delays on the federal. There's frustration with um, uh, compressing margins and deteriorating fundamentals. And there's frustration with, you know, the feeling that some of these management teams are, are just not getting, um, you know, the the critiques of them and, and not improving. 
right? And, and we always say we don't need our companies and our CEOs to be perfect, mm-hmm. um, but they have to improve on the issues, right? So I think that's going to be a real test for a lot of these companies is who's able to pivot, um, who's able to actually listen to what people are saying, and who's able to you know show the love to their investors and, and paint the picture. Uh, because I do believe things will get better as we go on from here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, hopefully they can only go up from here, but... Uh... I didn't say they can only go up from here. I just said no, the fu- hopeful, hopeful. I said the, said the businesses can get better. Okay, Any, <laughs> anything can happen with the stock. Let's be very yeah, clear. That's very true. And to and to wrap the episode, I mean, cash is no longer trash. I think it's going to get worse from here on out. And these are still capital starved businesses. So you need to be really, really looking at what's happening with these companies. From how are they spending their money? You know, um, are they generating operational cash flow? Those kind of things. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, Abby. Any final thoughts? No, you know what? I think I think we covered quite a bit. We we really hammered home on on this one. So I think you know I'll, I'll leave it with everybody out there. Cash is not trash. I mean, I don't know if it's king yet, but mm-hmm. uh, it's definitely it's definitely something. Some, some it's definitely something to uh, to be mindful of right now. Everything that's sort of going on. Exactly, cash is on the come up. So plan accordingly but don't forget you know in the in these times of carnage there usually are opportunities okay guys cinpodcast at gmail.com until next time this podcast is a general communication and entertainment being provided for informational purposes only it is educational in nature and not designed to be a recommendation for any specific investment product strategy plan feature or other purposes. Any examples used in this podcast are generic, hypothetical, and for entertainment purposes only. None of Cannabis Investing Network or its affiliates are suggesting that the listener or any other person take a specific course of action or any action at all. Communications such as this are not impartial and are provided in connection with advertising and marketing of products and services. Prior to making any investment or financial decisions, an investor should seek individualized advice from, from a personal financial, legal, tax, and other professional advisor that take into account all of the particular facts and circumstances for an investor's own situation. By listening to this communication, you agree with the intended purpose described earlier. Opinions and statements of financial market trends that are based on current market conditions constitute our judgment and are subject to change without notice. We believe the information provided here is reliable but should not be assumed to be accurate or complete. The views and strategies described may not be suitable for all investors.